So here we are. Good Friday. Together, but apart. Unprecedented times. Easter does not usually look like this. And, uh, but all across the world today, people will be tuning into laptops, phones, streaming services, coming together online. Perhaps families will gather around the Word of God themselves and, and recount the events that happened on this Good Friday. I am sure there is some very unconventional communion going to happen today. Perhaps it is toast and orange juice or coffee and bagels. But wherever you are today and however you are celebrating Good Friday, I want to encourage you with this. The Good Friday is not about the rituals that we usually partake in. It is not about the activities where we might go to church and all do the same thing that we do every single year. Easter is not about that and the fact that we can't come together physically this year doesn't change the fact of the importance of this day. You see, Easter actually isn't about us and what we think of Jesus Easter is about Jesus and what he thinks of us, what he thinks of you. I wonder if you can cast your mind back to a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months ago when you had your last big dinner with some friends or some family or loved ones and you had no idea that before isolation and lockdown that this was going to be the last time you got to share a meal together. Perhaps you uh, had takeout in a park or somebody cooked a great home-cooked meal. Maybe you met friends at a restaurant. But you never knew that that was going to be the last time for quite some time. Well, when it comes to Easter, there was a last dinner that uh, Jesus actually did know was going to be the last time. We know it as the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, uh, we see Jesus with his disciples having uh, the Passover meal. It is at this meal, Jesus introduces us to what we know as communion. He shares with his disciples, he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, see this, this represents my body. Take it, eat it and remember me. He takes a glass of wine and he says, you see this, this represents my blood. Take this, drink it and remember me. So today we are going to remember Jesus, the events that led to the cross. I invite you to take this time to steady your heart and your mind as we move through some of the events of the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John as we see the journey Jesus takes to go to the cross. Today, we remember the Thursday night, the night that they had the Last Supper, the night before the day of the cross. 
Jesus decided after the dinner that they had had uh, to take the group of disciples to a place that they were quite familiar with. They had spent time there before. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe we might refer to it as a park today, but these guys knew it and they hung out there. But Jesus took them there so that they could pray, spend time there together. Jesus was not surprised by the events that were going to happen tomorrow. In fact, this was the very reason he came to earth, to die. That didn't take away any of the weight or the anguish or the anxiety that came uh, before these events happened. Jesus was in such turmoil and such despair that we see in the Gospels Jesus falling to his knees and he prays, Father, Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way that this could go through with? But Jesus, being obedient, says, Not my will, Father, but your will. We remember that it was in this garden with his group of disciples, his close friends and companions, that one of the disciples, Judas, came and betrayed him. We remember that he had told the soldiers, the sign that you will know that the one you want is the one you want is I will give him a kiss. And so Jesus sees the men coming into the garden, the soldiers and the fire and Judas leading them. And Judas comes up to Jesus and kisses him. Perhaps Jesus' last kiss before the cross. And Jesus looks at him according to Matthew and says, my beloved, do what you've come to do. We remember that he was taken then. He was bound and tied and he was taken. This was only at about 4am before the sun was actually up. Darkness filled the earth. Matthew 26 says that those who arrested Jesus led him away and they went to the chief priests and to a meeting where the religious scholars and Supreme Jewish Council were already assembled There was a big mob that followed behind just hanging out to see what was going to happen, wanted to see the action, what was going to happen to Rabbi Jesus. At this meeting, many people came forward and gave false witnesses of Jesus. I've seen him do this. I've seen him say this. And none of it would stick to him. Soon, one of, uh, one of the priests just was so fed up with this. And Matthew 26 says, he burst out and said, have you nothing to say to these allegations? Is what you're saying, uh, is what they're saying about you true? But Jesus remained silent before them. So the chief priest said, I charge you under oath in the name of the living God. Tell us once and for all. Are you the anointed Messiah, the Son of God? Jesus answered him, you just said it yourself. They were outraged. They started crying out, blasphemy, blasphemy. And people started punching and slapping and spitting on Jesus. As he stood there tied up and bound, the people began to beat on him not only physically beat him, but they began to mock him. 
They said, oh, anointed one, prophesy to us. Tell us which one is about to hit you next before they landed their next blows upon him. So they bound him with chains and they led him away to Pilate, the Roman governor. We remember that they dragged Jesus to the governor's place and it was around 6am. The sun was now starting to creep over the earth and bring light to this dark, dark Friday. They demanded that Pilate crucify him, that he would kill him. But after interrogation, Pilate said, I I find nothing wrong with this man. I, I cannot find a thing wrong with him. Pilate was absolutely bewildered that Jesus would not speak up for his innocence. It was as though he said, speak up for your innocence, say something. Your innocence, say something. But Jesus wouldn't because he was purchasing innocence for you and me. We remember, like Isaiah tells us, silently he was led to the slaughter like a lamb. Even though Pilate could not find fault with Jesus, the people, the mob, were now in a frenzy. The religious man wanted him dead. And when given the chance between setting free a known criminal, Barabbas, or Jesus, they chose Barabbas, set him free, crucified Jesus. These men wanted his blood. If only they knew how much they needed it. We remember that in Matthew 27, the guards took Jesus to their military compound where a detachment of nearly 600 soldiers surrounded him. And unlike the Jewish law where they could not give more than 40 whips or lashes, the Romans had no such law. They were allowed to torture and beat someone however they saw fit. And this is exactly what they did. We remember that their weapon of choice for Jesus was a leather whip with it implanted metal and sheep bone and heavy objects so that with each whip, his, his flesh was torn And once that was open, the muscle was torn from the skeletal muscle flying and blood everywhere. He was beaten till he was almost unrecognisable. Yes, this Easter story is very messy. We remember that they stripped off his clothing, humiliated They placed a scarlet robe on him to make fun of him and they braided a crown of thorns that sat right on his head. After placing a reed staff in his right hand, they knelt down before him and irreverently mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat in his face. Then they took the staff that they had put in his hand and hit him repeatedly on the head so that the, so driving down the crown of thorns deep into his brow. When they finished ridiculing him, they took off the scarlet robe and put his clothes back on him. He was led away by men 
who he was dying to forgive. We remember that at about 8 a.m. Good Friday morning, perhaps you woke up at 8 a.m. this morning. Well, some 2,000 years ago, that was the time that Jesus began the long, agonising walk to the cross. We can only imagine now with an open body, his back open, no skin to protect him anymore, his throbbing skull. He would have been dehydrated and exhausted from the beating, from the sweat, from the blood that he has lost from his body. And to make it worse, the the wood from the crossbar is now placed on his open flesh on his back told to carry it up the hill. It was too much for one man to take. And so in Matthew 27, we read that the soldiers came out of the city and they stopped an African man named Simon from Libya and they compelled him to carry the cross for Jesus. We remember at 9am, Jesus was laid on the cross. Now his clothes were gone. They were stripped from him and he was, they were ready for the soldiers to bet on his belongings as he hung on a cross. It is here that the men steadied Jesus' hands, ready for the nails to go right through them so that he would be attached to that old rugged cross. It is here they contorted his legs into a position so that he could be nailed through his feet, that he would not come down. There once those nails went through his skin, his hands, his feet. He was lifted up on the cross. It's told in this position, it is, it is almost impossible to breathe without having to lift yourself up. So each breath was agonising as, as, as the beaten back is sliding against the timber, as, as your legs have no energy left. Jesus is breathing this way and he still finds value in, in these precious breaths to be able to pray for the people who are taking his life, to say, I forgive them. In this agony, he still finds time to tell the criminal next to him, there is a place for you in my kingdom. You know, at the cross, the pain and and the torment and the torture experienced on the cross was so severe that there wasn't a word to describe how horrible it was. The word excruciating was invented because there was no other pain like the pain of the cross. We remember all of this was done for you and I. We remember all that Jesus had to endure on that fateful Good Friday. We remember Jesus' last words, it is finished. 
the word he shouted out was tetelestai, which meant it is accomplished. It was, it was a common word that people would know that uh, usually it was meant to say, I have purchased something in full. It is accomplished. And it was a perfect tense word that says, it is finished. It will always be finished and it can never be undone. Jesus cried out to tell us that it is finished. I have purchased it in full. What, what is finished? What Jesus purchased on the cross was our forgiveness. And what was finished is the separation between us and God forevermore. You know, in our society, we really don't like the idea of sin. We hate being told that we're wrong. We hate being told that there is right or there is wrong. Or, and we hold for dear life onto the concept that we could come up with right and wrong for ourselves. Well, when it comes to a holy and perfect God, that is not the case. There is wrong. There is right. And what God calls is wrong is called sin. Simply put, sin is missing the mark. And when it comes to trying to hit the mark of perfection and holiness, the standard that God sets, we miss the mark all the time. The Bible actually tells us that none have hit that mark. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So sin separated us from God. We needed somebody to come and bridge that gap. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. We might hear the events of today and ask, well, why did he have to die? Why did, he, why did Jesus have to go through all of that pain? Because the wages of sin are death. And Jesus saw that we could never pay the debt ourselves. Jesus saw we could never close that gap ourselves. And he came so that he could die in our place so that never again would we ever have to be separate from God. Jesus said, I have paid your debt. I have ridded you of your sin. But the good news that makes this dark Friday so, so good is that He didn't just take our sin. There was an actual exchange. He took our sin and we got His righteousness. And now forevermore, for those who believe and accept God's love, we stand completely faultless before God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Timothy Keller puts it like this, nearly every religion on earth has a man that says, follow me and I'll help you find God. Christianity is a God who became man, who said, I'm coming to find you. You see, we remember today Jesus in this messy Easter story. But that's kind of what His love is like. It's messy. 
It goes beyond the lines of logic and reason. It reaches out to people who will never reach back. It does not discriminate. It keeps coming to find us every single moment of every single day. It's this messy kind of love that Jesus offers that makes its way to even reach to the man Judas who betrayed Him. It's a kind of love that makes its way to Peter who denied Him. This love even finds its way to the religious who shouted out, crucify Him. It is the kind of love that reaches down and prays for the forgiveness of the soldiers right after they had nailed His body to a cross. This kind of love is so messy, it cannot be contained, that it reaches to Pilate as he says that you are to be killed. It is the kind of love that reaches through time and space to reach us here right now. And this kind of love as He hung on a cross for you and I, did not take into account our family status, our work, our job, our financial status, the colour of our skin, our gender, our sexual orientation, what we want to do with our life. He didn't take any of that into the account. This love does not take that into account. It reaches and says, I think you are worth it. If you were the only one I was going to die for, It is worth it so I could love you for the rest of your life. It's a good Friday. And we remember Jesus like this. The one who has finished the work of sin in our lives forevermore. If you've never experienced the kind of love that I am sharing about this morning. Let me tell you this, there are no hoops for you to jump through. There is no religious checklist that you have to go through. The Bible tells us you merely believe and accept His love. And you can do that simply by a prayer that that goes simply like this, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. I let you in. Amen. Now there is so much more you and God are going to talk about, but this is the beginning. Just accept the love that He is offering you today. As we finish up our time here together, I want us to come together around the communion table and remember Jesus the way that He instructed us to. So if you have your bread, (laughs) and your juice, I wanna partake with communion with you and remember Jesus the way He asked us to. 1 Corinthians 11 says He took the bread and He gave thanks. Can we take a moment now to give thanks to Jesus for what He has done for us on the cross. He took the bread and said to the disciples, take it, 
eat your fill. It is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat and remember Jesus. Jesus did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, This cup seals the new covenant of my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do this and remember me. Let's drink together. Today we remember Jesus, the perfect sacrifice the one who died for our sins. John 3:16 says this. For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his one and only unique son as a gift. Now, everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. Today we th- we are thankful for Good Friday. And we look to Resurrection Sunday with great hope. Be blessed.